everybody, welcome to the second episode of the Architecture, Business, and Design podcast slash YouTube channel. I am here with Neil Myers. He is a senior architect at JFA Architecture Firm. Thank you for coming, Neil. Thank you for having me. So, Neil, tell us a little bit about your career as an architect, how it started, how it's developed. So I started getting interested in architecture probably when I was in high school taking several art classes. And then I tried to figure out what I wanted to do with it. And um, so I went to college, got an associate's degree in liberal arts, you know, took a wide range of classes, and I kept navigating back to drawing and creating. So then I took a leap and went to architecture school and never looked back. That was in 2001, actually, year 2001. I started school and I started working the, the following year as an intern. Okay. Okay, so out of all the projects you've worked on and you've worked on, a broad range of projects. What's your favorite? Do you like commercial better or residential, hospitality? Yeah, it's a complicated answer I'm gonna give you now. I like mixed use buildings, which is kinda a combination of all of those possibilities where maybe the ground floor, first few floors could be commercial and then a residential tower on top. Okay. Something like that. I find that's the most interesting because you get the best of all, all different project types there and mm -hmm. it's more challenging too because you have to figure out how to make those three things work together in harmony not disrupt each other. So this is fascinating I think for most people because you've managed entire buildings mm -hmm. the, the process from ground up right? Yeah from uh, inception to occupancy essentially. So have you ever been overwhelmed? Just like you get all the you get all the drawing plans, you get, or you or you make them, and you think, oh my god, this is going to be a long process. Oh yeah. There's a lot of unknowns. There's unknown unknowns, unpredictable. It's like, mm -hmm. how do you handle that, or do you just take it day by day? You take a deep breath, and uh, the first project, you know, I was very overwhelmed because I didn't realize that these things take years, literally, to build. Yeah. Uh, even if it's a large renovation, you still have to go in there and do the demolition before you do the construction. So there's a lot of it's a lot of time and multiple steps. So how I approach it is literally bite by bite, almost. You know, you, you just go at it and realize that you can't get it done in a day. Like, what do they say? Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Built in so like yeah. that is literally the truth. Like you have to keep going back to it getting frustrated, starting over, making yeah. mistakes, fixing them, learning from them. And uh, the best thing is the deadline. You know, your client will have a time when they want to move into the building and everything is focused on that date. Mm -hmm. So you try to make make it happen, like almost like an orchestra, orchestra yeah. conductor. Right? Mm -hmm. Do you find that most of the time you are able to meet the deadlines or is it most of the time like, we're gonna need another month, we're gonna need um, from the design standpoint and architectural, what's in our control as architects, we kind of we can achieve those deadlines. Can the contractor build it as fast as the owner wants? That's not always That's the case. Cool. Yeah, but there's there's always a way to make it happen if it's yeah. realistic. Um, you know, people can work overtime, they can work weekends, they can reduce the size of the building if it has to get done at a certain time. Mm -hmm. um, so, contractors. I talk to architects, designers, it's one of their biggest headaches, at least until they find a team that they're comfortable working mm -hmm. with, that they can trust. 
How have you formed your team of, of you know, you need a glass guy, you need um, a wood guy. So how do you, how did you form your team? It's not uh, easy because the teams are different on every job, I'd say. Okay. Um, if I have my way, I will suggest a few contractors that the owner will hire and hire them early in the process so that they can advise everything throughout the design process, like for designing something complicated, contractor will be at the table and say, yes, I can build this for your budget. Um, but that doesn't happen 99% of the time. <laughs> or the or time this they, design is impossible to make. Right. It's not. Yeah. yeah, that happens a lot too. Yeah. And um, sometimes the owner will come to you with the contractor, you know, already selected and they'll say, this is my contractor, let's build it together. And then you'll come into a disagreement of how you're going to build it or what it is that you're going to build because they'll say, oh, on the last job I did for that guy, we did this. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, this is different. They're like, yeah, but it worked fine. But like, yeah, but, but this is different. And that's constantly the, the struggle with them is getting them to understand um, what it is that we want. You know, yeah. communication of the design intent. Because mm -hmm. they'll see, well, why do you want it like that? You don't want it like that. You want it even. You're like, no, actually, I want it crooked. I designed it crooked on purpose. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason for it. Don't want to explain it. It's on the drawing. That's where it gets into a, a challenge where um, you know everybody's trying to do everybody else's job sometimes. Yeah, it's not a it's not a science, right? It's more of a art, right? You got to kind of yeah. feel every project is different. Every yeah, you got to kind of feel it's, it out. It's probably a balance between the two, though. There, there's yeah. a high degree of art to it that makes it architecture, mm -hmm. um, but there's still science involved. Like gravity's gravity. Like I can can only overhang a cantilever so far before it becomes cost prohibitive. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, but knowing how to manipulate the science and create art is the beauty of architecture, I think. Um, anybody can build a building, right? Architecture is a building that is, it, you know, it pulls emotion out of you when you see it. It makes you, uh, it causes a reaction, whether you love it or hate it. You mm -hmm. know, like look at a Frank Gehry building. Some people think it's the coolest thing ever. Other people are like, what is that monstrosity? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, some people are stuck in the middle and don't care. Yeah. yeah. How has, have you noticed that the industry has changed from when you first started to now? Mm. I'd say BIM is huge. When I started, um, when I started architecture school, AutoCAD was like the big deal, right? AutoCAD 2000 came out. Like, it was the first time they put a year on it. Before that was just release numbers. And so all the firms are transitioning from the old drafting table to the computer. Mm -hmm. Now they thought that they were done with the computer as one step, and now it's going into BIM, you know, building information modeling, where you are building the project virtually, and then it is turned into construction documents and given to the contractor to be built. Wow. So we're still in like a weird gray area because we're modeling it really high-tech on a computer screen, then you still have to hit print. The contractor goes out there with a roll of paper. That's where the industry is starting to shift a little because the, uh, the contractors are starting to go past us in technology. They're starting to really embrace the them and going, wait, wait, wait. The model tells me how many cubic yards of concrete I need. I want that model. And then there's ways for them to uh, visualize things that they couldn't see before because they can rotate it around in mm -hmm. their construction tra trailer and whatnot. Wow. I saw a video Elon Musk has on his YouTube channel mm -hmm. where they designed one of the engines for 
I believe it's one of the engines for his rocket. And he had a special, it was a hologram, and he had a special apparatus on his hand and he was turning it like yeah. Iron Man. And I thought, that's going to be the future of design. It is. Something Cause... like that. Um, yeah, like now, I mean, when I started, we had these big boxy monitors. I mean, you had one little monitor on your screen. Now on my desk, I have two huge curved monitors, like wrapped around yeah. technology. And also email. I mean, the, the smartphone wasn't around when I started my career either. Oh, wow. um, if you think about the amount of emails I get a day now compared to when I started. I mean, obviously, I started as a junior architect, now I'm a senior architect, so responsibility is totally different. But a few hundred emails a day is kind of crazy. <laughs> no matter what you do. Yes, no, um, noted. <laughs> well, and, and half of them you just copied on. You don't need, you're not directly addressed to, you just CC. Yeah. And I'm sure architects aren't the only people who have that problem. I mean, yeah. it's probably worse in some other industries that are, you know, more communicative. Yeah. So, yeah, I find, I agree with you. And the more, I have to like spend a, a, like two hours in the morning on emails. Mm -hmm. On lunch, I have to clear my email box again. And then by five, I have to re-clear my email inbox because all day long it's just, can you quote me this? Can you quote me that? Uh, yeah, it's nonstop. So, of, of all the roles that you've had in, in your career, which one did you enjoy the most? Do you enjoy the one with the most responsibility, which I'm assuming is what you have now, or did you enjoy some halfway point? I enjoy where I am now because I get to control the process a little more, and I understand the process. Yeah. Like, knowing why, as opposed to just doing it, I think helps a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, at the same time, I miss having very little responsibility. I mean, that is a you know, it's nice. To, it's nice to have little to worry about. But at the same time, when you have little to worry about, there's little that you actually understand. Yeah. You know? Just going to bed, and it's not my responsibilities. Yeah. <laughs> now it is your responsibility. So now it's like. Yeah, like you know the phrase they say, it keeps you up at night. Like, yeah. it, it's real with the architecture because you'll be working on a project and you'll think. Oh, did I do something wrong? And you'll you'll wake up and think about it. So the more experience you have and comfort you can give yourself in the design process, the more you know. If you're confident as a designer, you can convey it to the contractor and get it built the way you want. So, um, from what I have read, there was architecture and there was interior designers. Mm -hmm. And now they're, well, I don't know if it's recently, maybe in the last two decades, they've developed the architectural interiors. So it's kind of architects that only work on interiors, and they kind of mm -hmm. became, not interior designers, but they only design. Yeah, interiors. it's kind of a, I think that is partially a result of spaces getting really built up and then instead of knocking a building down and rebuilding a new one, we're renovating a lot now. Especially in New York, because you know, most of these buildings that we have were built 50 years ago or so, or 100 years ago, and instead of knocking them down, we go in and we take everything out and we put a new life inside of it. Like, um, I'd say probably 30% of the jobs I've done in my career like that. Yeah. Um, so, do you, when, when someone wants to build, put up a building, do they, do you sit down together with the engineer or do you come in after the engineer? 
We we are first usually. Okay. Um, architecture will come up with the the general shape of the building based on zoning and the owner's requirements, what mm -hmm. they want, what they're allowed to have, and what they want. We have to mm -hmm. find the happy medium with that, maximize the investment possibility, and then the engineers will help us figure out how to make the building stand up and heating and cooling and lighting and all that. Um, we work hand in hand though. It's not like we just hand off a building to them and tell them to make it work. We have to understand what they do. Like we have yeah. to understand like how far lights need to be away from each other and sprinklers will be there and all that. Yeah. So it's kind of like we start to create the, the shell mm -hmm. and we work on filling it in together. Okay. Um, yeah. God, I can't imagine so many codes and that you have to follow and all this stuff. So what, yeah. which project that you've worked on have you enjoyed the most or do you find the coolest, for lack of a better word? <laughs> um, hospitality projects, I think, because there's a, there's a sense of fun that it's almost ingrained in it because you're trying to make the people who are using the space in a hospitality environment, they're away from home and you're trying to make them feel like they're at home, mm -hmm. which is different for every single person. So you're trying to make somebody comfortable in so many different ways, you know what I mean? Because you're trying to make you comfortable, me comfortable, she comfortable, everybody. Um, and that's a, a delicate balance. And it's usually uh, a place to sleep and a place to eat and a place to drink. So it's kind of like three balances of uh, activity also have uh, something special for me. What about gyms? Do you go, have you ever had to work on a gym in a hotel? Or mm -hmm. Yeah, in a hotel they usually have a gym, yeah. a gym element, uh, a business center, mm -hmm. restaurant, the back of house stuffs too. There, you know, the housekeeping yeah. center, so you get to deal with utilitarian items. Yeah. What's your favorite? What's the favorite part of your job? Like on Neil Meyer's day, what's your favorite part of being an architect? I like zoning number, doing numbers the first pass of the project, coming up with the what it can be, okay. and then uh, then creating like a, a quick preliminary version of the building. That's my favorite thing to do. And then handing it off to the, another team member and seeing where they take it. And then, you know, we do like, you hand it back and forth and you kind of, you turn mm -hmm. it into a new building, uh, a, new, a new creation, I guess. I'm guessing since you're the head of the project, you most of your day must be spent in meetings, right? You're, they, they come to yeah. you, like presenting well, to you what they came up with. Yeah, I'd say sixty percent of my time is communicating uh, what needs to get done next, or what what we did mm -hmm. last, and how we need to fix it. You know, it's a lot of planning. It's mm -hmm. a lot of strategizing about who's going to work on what next. And then sometimes you know you have to just helicopter in and take care of something real quick, and then go back out. So I'd say versatility is, is, a, is a very key. Take a quick ride to Home thing. Depot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you grab, you know, go to the site, but don't forget the tape measure. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So, what's your least favorite part? Uh, emails. Yeah, answering. I don't like email, <laughs> and it's unfortunate because they're it, the thing I don't like about it is it's so communication now is so. Um, the right word for that. It's almost like non-stop, right? I mean, people will respond without without thinking, mm -hmm. and then by the time you'll get to the email chain, there'll be six responses that have 
diverted the conversation in the wrong way. Yeah. And then you'll you'll have to spend you know, a lot more energy writing it on the right course. Because you know, it's all, like you were saying before, with all those codes and information. Yeah. If one person makes one slight misinterpretation along the way, somebody will have to come in and correct it before yeah. it gets built, and that's where it gets into a nightmare. And email is really, I think, the weak point. Yeah. I I respect that from immensely because let's say we're building a chandelier mm -hmm. if we if somebody writes the wrong size of sockets for the light fixtures down the day before and they spend the whole day rewiring the chandelier with the wrong size sockets mm -hmm. that whole day has just been lost because they got to redo it everything mm -hmm. gets backed up and that's just a light fixture you're doing buildings yeah it's so the key to that is making sure you catch that mistake before they start building it yeah because <laughs> uh if it's on paper, I always tell the guys I work with that a, mistake's on, a mistake on paper is not as anywhere near as a mistake on the site. Yeah, that's you know, true. So you just fix it. Maybe you're embarrassed if you made a mistake, but mm -hmm. you're more embarrassed when you tell the poor contractor that built it per your plans that you were wrong. Yeah. And that he has to take down what he built right and rebuild it right another way. Yeah, avoid those. <laughs> yeah, I try. What's the biggest obstacle you've ever faced in your career? Um, I'd say communication in general. Not like one instance, but communicating what the client wants as opposed to what the code allows and what we can actually deliver. I think it's that managing expectations plus communication. Those two things are kind of yeah very well related. Yeah. So now that's something that I've always wondered. New York City is a beautiful, beautiful city, but I see some of the buildings in Dubai, and I'm like, New York City is probably the financial capital of the world. Why don't we have buildings like like those build the buildings in Dubai look like it's. The year 2050. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're trying, you know. Yeah. Um, we can have buildings like Dubai. There's no reason why we, we don't, architecturally, design-wise. Mm -hmm. The construction industry in New York may be um, more expensive than in Dubai. And so maybe to cost, like, let's say the, the Burj Dubai, the giant tower over there, mm -hmm. Uh, maybe it would have cost twice as much to build it in New York. I don't know. Um, the reasons like that may be some of the restrictions on New York. And also, our land is very finite. We started building high rises in Manhattan almost 100 years ago, and we haven't stopped. Like, they just started in Dubai, so I, I have a feeling they have much more of a footprint to play with. Yeah. And I mean, like, we squeezed this high rise in. Yeah. Uh, out of tragedy, it was the only reason we had a room for a building that big, you know. And it's a beautiful building. Yeah, it is a beautiful building. Yeah. Uh, uh, I was lucky enough to do some work in it too. Oh, really? Definitely. Yeah, uh, it was a pleasure. I did an office renovation on uh, one of the upper floors, and what a view! Is <laughs> all I can say. Yeah. You know, it's it's quite impressive. Um, but like you see, Hudson Yards is like new newfound land over there. Um, so it used to be a big train storage area. Now they've freed that up and they're putting a bunch of high rises there. Mm -hmm. They're not Dubai though. Maybe it's because yeah. we don't have the uh, 
the government investment that Dubai has backing it. There may be a lot of government subsidies there, and Washington doesn't like New York, maybe. The Javits Center is beautiful, right? The Javits Center is okay. I'm not a, a huge fan of it because I think it's too much glass. Oh, okay. I think it's it's hard to keep it clean. <laughs> But I mean, once you're inside it, it feels, it feels all right. You know? yeah. it's, it's a big, giant, sprawling convention center. Yeah, Hudson Yards, what's the name of that uh, development firm, Rockwell? Yeah, the Rockwell. They're, they're, one of the big, they're, they're one of the biggest developers there, right? I think so, yeah. So, yeah, they're doing beautiful work, but it, it's not Dubai. Yeah. Another, another thing I was thinking was maybe they can't, they don't think they can lease it. Because I, I read somewhere that the Freedom Tower is almost 50%. It is. Or seventy-five percent empty, which is fascinating. I don't know what the percentage is, but you can see at nighttime uh, <laughs> the floors that still have the construction lights on. Yeah, they're not occupied, which is uh, is fascinating because New York's real estate market is crazy. So yeah, is it that they want a lot for the floor? Is it that it's inconvenient to get in and out of the building? I'm not sure why. I re- I did some research. I think it was, I think a three thousand square foot office was about eighteen thousand a month. Which, you know, sounds like a, like a lot, but for that, there's yeah. buildings surrounding it that are way more. Yeah. And I'm thinking, just being there, I think, would be a good mm-hmm. position point for your business, right? If you say, mm-hmm. hey, come to my office, I'm on 89th floor of the Freedom Tower. <laughs> That's what our, my client that had an office and they were doing that. They were moving from Midtown down there and it was to be a, you know, flagship kind of showstopper, yeah. show off of what they could, what they have. Um, but I don't know, that's the, the real estate industry is so up and down and left and right, like, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you why this neighborhood versus that neighborhood, not. Yeah, I couldn't either. I mean, I, I can understand it after it happens, but I couldn't tell you why it happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's probably going to be people who want to be architects watching this, mm-hmm. and they're scared to make mistakes, mm-hmm. understandably. So maybe you could tell them what your biggest mistake that you've ever made. So that when they do make the mistake that they're going to make, they don't feel so bad about it. The biggest thing I could say is you will make mistakes no matter what you do in any career. But with architecture, everything is so um, building code specific and life safety for people's uh, fire hazards and whatnot in buildings. So we... The biggest mistakes you could make are ones that are life safety related code problems. And then it would be, like let's say you put too many people in, in a space for the stair. You designed a building with a three foot stair and it needed a three foot eight stair. Mm. Read the code, is my advice to everybody. Like read it and then read it again. And if you are unsure of something, always pick the, the more conservative route and then recheck it later. Um, cause yeah. Imagine you laid out a whole building, just the same story as the, the chandelier sockets we talked about. Yeah. You laid out the whole tower with a three-foot stair, but it needed a three-foot eight stair. Doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Does it Got fit? It. Maybe it fits, yeah. but it doesn't fit without impacting something else. And that's really the uh, kind of mistakes you got to be careful for. I think staircases, yeah, that's a, those are the things that are challenging for architects to get right because you have to think in 3D. Um, software Revit helps a lot, but mm-hmm. you got to get it right still. 
how would you advise someone that wants to work in a big in a big firm what how would you tell them to get into their you hear a lot of people talking i don't know if it's true in the architecture field but you hear a lot of people talking that they're coming out of college and they can't find a job mm -hmm. how would you advise someone to how to present themselves to a big firm in order to be considered for for the job um have an extensive portfolio that shows a wide range of work know what you want like if you're gonna apply for a job know if you want to just be a drafter if you want to be a designer or if you want to eventually be the boss um, and I'd say if you do get hired at, at a large firm try to make sure that they know that you're there like don't just go to work and go to your cubicle and put your head down and work make noise ask questions you know be disruptive to a degree that mm -hmm gets you noticed, but you have to contribute. You can't just run around complaining all day. Like, um, if you can make a difference in the firm, and, and if the leadership can acknowledge that you are one of the people making a difference, you will be likely promoted and given more responsibility. Do you have any mentors early on in your career? Any, any bosses that kind of guided you through? Yeah, um, my, it was the third firm I worked for, but it was right after I got out of college. The, the, the architect I worked for there, I, I answered an ad on Craigslist for the job and it says, if you want to be a licensed architect, start here. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. So I applied and, and he was telling the truth. Like he taught me, you know, he would go out of his way to explain the code to me, why I was doing, why I was drawing what I was drawing. And I appreciated that so much that I, I do that for my junior staff. Like I don't just write out something and give it to them. I'll, I'll make them come sit with me and explain why they need to do it this way and the reason behind it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the reasons I am where I am today. Like that job, they pushed me to get my license. You know, they were, mm -hmm. you know, between them and my, my mom and my wife, they were all telling me, keep moving, keep going, keep going, you can do it. You know, <laughs> and, uh, it worked out. That's important, right? Everyone needs someone, no yeah. one's self-made. So how do you keep up with industry, the industry? I'm sure, because I'm sure every year there's different programs, different styles. Yeah. Well, one great thing about once you become licensed in architecture, you have to, uh, there's continuing education requirements to keep your license. So mm -hmm. I, you're, you have to go to webinars and seminars to a certain number of credits every three years to keep your license. And mm -hmm. those things tell you what's cutting edge, like what's the next greatest what's the next thing. Know, what's the big problem of last year's design? What's what's in the future? What are the drones doing? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. So, what's a, a, a typical day in the life of Neil Myers? How do you? So you know, we go in the office. A lot of times, I ride my bike in, which is very nice. Oh, and then you know, go in there and first hour of the day, schedule what everybody's going to do on my team, answer emails find out what the big problem of the day is that I need to solve, solve it, <laughs> try to solve it before noon actually, and then create a new problem afternoon and solve it by the end of the day. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, my, I mean, my days are, I try to plan them, but I, I say that I do what, play whack-a-mole all day, you know, so it's something new happening, you gotta like run around and deal with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No two days alike, I'd say, that's another good thing. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. I, 
working here, I, I realized I don't, I, any job before this, I used to look at the clock. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus Christ, it's, it's only one o'clock, I look at it at five. I don't even realize that it's five o'clock. Sometimes I'll be here until eight or nine, I'm just working problem yeah. after problem, and I don't mind because I enjoy the day. It's a lot of stimulation. Mm-hmm. So. There's a entrepreneur in the New York City that puts, anytime he has to write down his occupation, puts firefighter. It's like, because all day long, I'm just putting out fire. <laughs> just like every day, just wake mm-hmm. up and it's like a treadmill. You gotta run faster and faster to put out all the problems and the moving pieces. So, have you used social media a lot in your... Um, professionally, no. Um, I use it I mean, I use it for architectural reasons, but not for my day job. I use it to, I have a website that is linked to a Tumblr account so I can share photos of things that I like through Instagram. Oh. It pops up on my website through my phone. So like I, I do it for fun though. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't look at it as doing social media, but I mean, I got people following me and in Europe and Asia and Australia that just like a random photo I took of something in New York City. So I think it's cool. I don't know where it's going to take us. Um, Let's see. Positive or or negative? I think positive. I think it's a connectivity thing, if anything. Like like LinkedIn, I guess. I mean, I I guess I do use social media sometimes. LinkedIn, like clients will message me on LinkedIn kind of weird but it happens yeah and uh that you're already in communication with or people that want your services both both okay yeah yeah if you already know them it's normal but if somebody kind of cold calls you there you're like huh well I would think if I already know you why don't you just text me or call me <laughs> good, good point um well, actually, the client that already knew me, he was doing well. He was LinkedIn-ing me and texting me and emailing me because he really, really wanted my attention. <laughs> yeah, he got my attention. It was good. I guess, I guess it's, yeah, LinkedIn, I think <laughs> people will look for jobs on LinkedIn, from what I heard. Like, they put their resume on there. And yeah. I Actually, I think that's how I probably got my job, my current job. A recruiter probably found me through LinkedIn. Yeah. I, um, I think so. That's probably how it happened. Because there's a lot of recruit. I, I spoke with LinkedIn one time, and they sell recruiting packages. A lot of their revenue comes from recruiting companies. They pay them to be allowed to message. You're allowed to message a certain amount of people that you're not directly connected to a month. So you've got like 20 messages a month of people you're not directly connected to. So it's fascinating. So what's, what's next in your career? What, what are you currently working on that's exciting that? A lot of new buildings right now, actually. My new, the new firm I'm with, we're doing a lot of ground up construction. Uh, so that's what's keeping me busy now. Probably a thousand apartments across a few projects. <laughs> so I want to see those get built, is my next thing. Yeah. And then uh, onward, upward. You get to a point where you say, I can't take on anything more right now. No. You always hire more people. It's a good psychology. <laughs> <laughs> I never say no to a project um, because it's just a bad idea. Because what if you have zero projects? It's better to have 40 projects than none. Yeah. You can always find, uh, I'm like, I will say no, I can't do something by a certain day, 
mm-hmm. you know, but I wouldn't t- turn away a client usually. I mean, there's jobs you don't want to do, obviously, but yeah. Um, but never if it's a job. If it's a job that I want to do, no, not yet. I haven't came across one yet that was too big. I always, even here, sometimes there's things that have to be metal that has to be bent a certain way, and mm-hmm. you know, the employees think it's impossible. And I, I said in the last podcast too, if the United States of America could put a man on the moon, then we can build this piece of furniture, <laughs> right? Because it clears all the, the mental limitations that people, and it always works out. Even if you have to make a few adjustments, borrow someone else's machine, it always works out. All right, so, um, <laughs> so where can people find out more about you that are watching this podcast? And um, they can follow. I mean, my Instagram account is one place you can see what I'm doing, and we'll link that on the video. Cool. And I mean, uh, I mean, they can see my office's website, jfrankel.com. Uh, we're getting updated soon. It's, it's outdated at the moment, but it will be updated over the next couple of months so you can, see, you can see some of the projects that I'm working on there. Okay. Um, do you have a personal website? I do, you? yeah, actually. It's uh, mohawkarch.com. Mohawkarch. Okay, so we'll link all that for people mm-hmm. too. Yeah, and that's my photo site where you see the pretty much mostly things about New York City, but I do go to other cities sometimes. And <laughs> they get little uh, cameos. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, well, thank you so much, Neil. Thank you for coming by. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Tune in next week for the third episode of Architecture, Business, and Design.